Hello, hello. Welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst. We are 27 days away from the actual election date. Tonight, the top campaign surrogates for Donald Trump and Joe Biden take the national stage. Our egregious Vice President Mike Pence and the woman who has tried to take the liberal out of neoliberal, Senator Kamala Harris. As an activist, this debate will be a test of our ability to see politics as three-dimensional chess. Trump and Pence must go. If nothing else, we need to stop Trump from infecting more people with his viruses, his ideal ideas of viruses, and of course, the coronavirus. But hey, the white supremacist house, house ringleader, you know, the White House, the white supremacist house, their ringleader, Stephen Miller, has it now. So that's the same Stephen Miller who led the writing of Trump's convention speech, where Trump said the pandemic crisis would be over soon and a vaccine was you know, just around the corner. Uh-huh. What needs to be over soon is this administration. But here is where we play three-dimensional chess. It is hard to think of anything less than dumping Trump that would get me to look well on Kamala Harris. She is really quite conservative, prosecutorial, of course. She did great damage to many Bernie supporters with her army of trolls, K-Hive, that came after us for two years. Part of our work, after she and Biden have taken office, is to elevate the progressives who will contend with her for leadership of the Democratic Party. But right now, well, the enemy of Trump and Pence may not exactly be my friend, but she sure is a temporary intersectional ally. Tonight, we need to do her prosecutorial thing to Mike Pence. He is a pretty big target. Remember, Trump put him, him, Mike Pence, in charge of curbing this pandemic. So, Mr. Vice President, how's that going? Mission accomplished yet? And remember, the point isn't Pence. The point is his boss, the president, who still, while he has the coronavirus, he still won't wear a mask or take this disease seriously. He thinks, as any good dictator would, he thinks it is a sign of weakness. How does Pence justify any of this? Harris cannot let him off the hook. The more the voting is about Trump's disaster handle, disastrous, disastrous handling of the pandemic, the bigger his defeat will be. The bigger his defeat, the smaller his chances of challenging the election. So job one for Kamala Harris tonight is to interrogate the head of Trump's coronavirus task force, Vice President Pence, on basic questions like, hmm, what the hell have they been thinking? What are you even thinking now? This show isn't long enough to describe all the damage they have done, but here is just one illustration of how their virus of know-nothingism has spread. Mike Goodwin. He was once a, you know, an actual newspaper reporter. Now he is a columnist at the New York Post. And just today, he wrote that Biden's consistent wearing of a mask, and I want to read these words very carefully because they are his words as they were published. Biden's mask wearing is, quote, reflecting the left's near religious belief in masks, end quote. Are you effing kidding me? This is one of the two main New York rags, allowing conspiracy theorist propaganda to be distributed throughout the five boroughs and beyond. There are neighborhoods in New York City right now going to be under lockdown where COVID is spreading out of control because actual religious communities have resisted wearing masks and taking other precautions. This is how it spread the first time in New York City. And Mike Goodwin tries to twist that inside out into a partisan attack against the supposed left. 
This is how the country is being destroyed and transformed into Trump's wonderland of made-up realities. Mike Goodwin, you know better. In fact, I invite you to come and join us on the show to discuss this partisan science. First, they did it with climate change or global warming. Now they are debating basic science that prevents a virus from annihilating our species. So what, they can receive a few more tax cuts? This isn't a religious belief, it is data science. There are several credible studies showing that if everyone wears a mask, we reduce the spread of the virus by about one third. These aren't left-wing studies or religious beliefs, they are science. But I guess science is off limits since the religious right cut it from public edu education in right-wing states. This is how it happens. So that is why there is a lot at stake in tonight's debate. This is an election between candidates who are still in the real world, Biden and Harris, and two guys, Trump and Pence, who have literally ruled by wrecking ball. We have a wonderful show for you today. Chris Halali will join us tonight uh, today about and tell us about his time being monitored by Homeland Security over his time fighting ISIS. And now he is running for Congress. And later we have Nabila and Jordan back to discuss today's news and what we expect from the debate tonight. But first, we have a programming note. We will be covering the debate tonight here live. Last night, we covered the Arizona debate between Mark Kelly and uh, Martha McSally. It was spicy. If you haven't checked that out, you can go back and watch the entire debate and the analysis afterwards, and that'll be available to patrons as well. Uh, but for tonight, I'm bringing in some California and Kamala experts. So this is going to be a very good one. You gotta check us tonight. Check us out tonight at the start of the debate and afterwards. But first, here is what is at the top of my newsfeed. There will be no coronavirus aid until after the election, citing bad faith negotiation from Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. That is what we are citing here. Trump refused to advance a COVID-19 relief bill until after the November election or, quote, as he said, after I am reelected. He's dangling stimulus checks and company bailouts as rewards to the American people for uh, his re-election. Seriously, he's gonna drag it out. We know what's gonna happen here, right? Like, he is going to contest this in courts and he's gonna hold these relief packages as some sort of deal. That's not how democracy works. Elections don't work that way. But his Federal Reserve Chairman has made it clear that desperate Americans and a damaged economy need the relief now. One big holdup is that Trump doesn't want to rescue cities and states whose tax collections have collapsed with the economy. The leader of the Democrats in the Senate, Chuck Schumer of New York, said, yeah, not to worry. Elect Democrats, he said. And when we are back in power, yeah, quote, we will pass the COVID relief package that this country needs. So he's also postponing this. Hmm. All right. Conservative justices are still fighting same-sex marriage. It took one day of the Supreme Court's new term for two conservative justices, Alito and Thomas, to threaten the 2015 ruling legalizing same-sex marriage nationwide. In his statement, Thomas frames Obergefell, I forgot, I've met him and I can't even say his name, uh, as the ruling is called, as a measure that frames so-called, quote, religious adherents as bigots. It's a chilling reminder that the American right conflates religious freedom with restrictions to civil rights and basic liberties. 
All the more reason for us as leftists to demand serious reform to the structure of the Supreme Court. You can look at uh, Jacobin's recent interview with Samuel Moyne to brush up on what these reforms ought to look like. We definitely urge you to do so. We'll put that in uh, the link in the bottom. Medicare for all presidents. NPR has given us an in-depth look at the care provided to Donald Trump during his hospitalization with coronavirus. Suffice it to say that it was not the care provided to most of the 200,000 Americans who died of the virus under his administration or to the millions of others who've been sickened by it. For example, while many hospitals have faced staffing shortages due to austerity measures in the, the care system, Trump has benefited from a multi-person, around-the-clock care team. Meanwhile, physician Leanna Wen has observed that Trump, quote, received experimental therapies no one else has had access to, end quote, including remdesivir alongside a series of antibodies. If Trump chooses this care for himself, what stops him from thinking the American people deserve it too? All right, guys, make sure to smash that like button and subscribe. We have an incredible show for today. Uh, We'll be right back with former ISIS fighter, DHS target, and now congressional candidate, Chris Halali. really excited about our next guest. Uh, it's taken us a few weeks to get him because he's a busy guy. Also, you know, we got to launch a new show. I met uh, Chris Halali in Greece uh, in an undisclosed location. <laughs> uh, no, but really, Chris Halali is is a candidate for Congress in Vermont right now. Uh, he is a, a he's, he's the subject of this DHS uh, targeting of Antifa members. You may recall we had Ken Klippenstein on to discuss that. He was on yesterday, actually, Ken, uh, talking about something else. And um, and of course, he that's because he fought ISIS, which is a fascinating topic to start off with. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Namiki. So, Chris, um, let's just start off, you know, right off the bat. You fought ISIS, and there's a there's a, a small group of folks who a few years ago went to Syria, independent of any, you know, not being in the military at that time, at least, um, the U.S. military, uh, to fight ISIS on their own, which is, I think to most people, a little crazy. Uh, <laughs> what inspired you to go to Syria? Um, so I am an Iranian Kurd, um, so that was a part of the rationale was uh, over the over the since uh, you know ISIS emerged, Daesh emerged in uh, Iraq and Syria, and we started to see a lot of the horrific atrocities and the genocide, for example, of the Yazidi people uh, in in Shinjar. Um, we knew for sure that uh, you know some of us who were connected with one another that we would uh, try to go and to fight. Uh, I had known about the PKK for for um, you know through my childhood, of course, and their transition from Marxism-Leninism to uh, a more democratic confederalism, Murray Bookchin-type libertarian socialist project. Um, And of course, uh, I was, um, you know, I I myself was, I grew up a Marxist-Leninist, and then I slowly transitioned to anarchism and have post-Rojava come back uh, to that position. Um, But of course, uh, what was the real thing was uh, I went in 2016 and worked with uh, refugees in Greece. So I spent... um, nearly a year working with refugees, went to Lesbos and was primarily in Athens in a squatted community and worked very closely with the Kurdish organizations in Athens. 
and eventually they said, uh, you're Kurdish and you have an obligation and you should, uh, you should go fight. So <laughs> there I am. <laughs> so <laughs> looking clean went, shaven uh, there. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, we fought, um, uh, we fought, uh, with the international freedom battalion, uh, which was a, a sort of a mixture of anarchists, communists, and socialists, various anti-imperialists, uh, and anti-authoritarians. Um, but it was headed by um, predominantly some communist uh, parties in Turkey that have guerrilla units. So we fought, and uh, I fought there for nine months, uh, and I was on the Raqqa campaign. And, uh, of course, while there, I, I became disillusioned with sort of the, the project in northeast Syria uh, and switched to a lot of my positions, as did a few other comrades um, as well. Um, uh, I think for, for me... The U.S. and coalition involvement uh, has been extremely counterproductive, as we've mm -hmm. seen the U.S. Uh, and we knew this while we were there and we would talk with the, the leadership. But the U.S. wasn't there to protect the Kurds. They were there primarily to uh, hamper the efforts of the Russian Federation and the Syrian government under Bashar al-Assad uh, to uh, you know, maintain control over what was quickly becoming to us apparent was a sort of balkanization of the, of the Syrian Arab Republic. So I think as a anti-imperialist, the fight against ISIS was correct. But then again, ISIS uh, had um, many strange ties to backers and funders uh, through different operatives in the, in the Emirates and Saudi Arabia. And then, of course, connecting back to the CIA and the Mossad. So I think that uh, the Syrian conf conflict is a quagmire. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the Syrian people uh, of all different uh, ethnicities and religious traditions should chart out their own path uh, without uh, the imperialist involvement of the U.S. and NATO. Um, and so I think that right now um, the conflict uh, has reached a stalemate because the U.S. won't leave. Turkey, of course, is involved uh, heavily with supporting uh, the, the remnants of the, the Al-Qaeda uh, you know, affiliates in Idlib uh, and having brought in their own sort of uh, jihadist proxy forces into uh, Serakania, Ras al-Ain, uh, where I was located in, in northeast Syria. And I think that right now you just see that uh, the Syrian conflict won't be ending anytime soon. So uh, in terms of this DHS uh, monitoring, I mean, you there was a story that broke. Can we put that uh, article up on screen, the one from The Nation with Clem Klebenstein, where uh, he got a tip that DHS was monitoring uh, what, of course, the U.S. government thought was Antifa members, whatever that means. Um, Dorsey, do we have that link, the Nation link? To put up there okay we'll hold for that it'll pop up uh and and you know we've had ken on to talk about this and it it just it just seems like it goes against the interest antifa or not it seems like going after folks who were i thought aligned with the u.s interests would be an odd thing to monitor folks like you um do you have any understanding as to why you were monitored uh, sure, of course. I mean, we know we know very well uh, because the Americans were on the ground uh, in northeast Syria that the Americans were not at all pleased with the sort of revolutionary rhetoric behind uh, what was the political project going on um, in northeast Syria. And they were very, very upset with the International Freedom Battalion and a lot of different groups within northeast Syria who were spreading different anti-fascist, anti-imperialist um, messages. Uh, I mean, and can, sort of can, having, can I, can I sure, ask you sure. a question? When you say spreading anti-fascist, uh, anti-imperialist messages, who are you spreading them to? 
Well, I mean, like the people would just go and do solidarity posts. Like, you know, you'd have a bunch of comrades together with uh, some AKs or, you know, some RPGs and you'd say, you know, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter or you'd say this kind of stuff. And so, of course, that kind of stuff went viral on social media. I mean, it was here today, gone the next. I mean, most people don't even remember a lot of these posts. The thing was that the U.S. didn't want any of that to really, you know, go out and they didn't really find, you know, it was an alliance of convenience at best. Um but uh, yeah, the U.S. Uh, didn't even want the International Freedom Battalion to participate in a lot of the operations uh, and pressured the Kurds, uh, the SDF, uh, to not put them out there. Uh, because, of course, uh, the, the Kurds were, you know, the different communist parties that were there were terrorists in and of themselves to the Americans and to NATO. I mean, they're fighting guerrilla wars in Turkey against the second largest uh, NATO army. So... Uh, it was an alliance of convenience. It, it was all wrapped up. Of course, the media loved the narrative of, you know, the, the women Kurdish fighters and look yeah. at them fighting against ISIS. So they tolerated it for a period of time. But, oh, oh, you know, the, when, the minute I stepped back into the United States, uh, I was monitored. I was stopped. I was questioned for hours and hours in detention. Um, I've been what handcuffed multiple times. Uh, 2017, when I got back. And then uh, since then, every time I cross international borders, uh, you know, either leaving the United States or coming into the United States, I'm handcuffed, put into a room, and sometimes detained up to eight or ten hours. Uh, and all my stuff is taken. They take pictures of all my books and uh, articles I have and things like that. And that's why the report clearly states that I was bringing in communists and anarchists. You know, yeah, well, some most of my stuff is theoretical, or I have some book on, you know, the Greek Civil War and history and this kind of stuff. They take pictures of it all. They scan. I have that all book day. too. Come on. I know. It's like, come on. So, so a lot of that stuff uh, has been ongoing, and we know that we're under surveillance, uh, and it's uh, been very apparent. I get the four S's on my air. Uh, I don't know if you know, but on your airline ticket, if you have the four S's, you're selected for secondary screening. And, of course, the, the, the thing goes that you've been selected. And, of course, I tell them that it's been multiple years that I've had the four S's on my you know, airline tickets. But they take you to secondary screening. They check for bombs. They check for this. They do all sorts of uh, swabs. And it's not, uh, it's not too pleasant, that's for sure. Uh, but the targeting, of course, is now with everything going on in the U.S. and with you know, sort of the anti-fascist movement picking up steam, especially... Uh, you know, connected to in solidarity with the black proletariat and sort of the, the black working classes revolts against police brutality and, and murder. Uh, obviously, now it's a threat to it's a threat to the U.S. government in a sense that it changes the narrative and brings that yeah. and brings the protests home. You know, the right. protests aren't outside of the borders. Now they're in the borders. Right. So. How did you learn that you were being monitored? I mean, in this stage, officially through DHS? Um, so through all my stops, uh, I realized uh, very fast that, uh, you know, I, something was in the system because when they would scan my passport, a red light would start blinking. And, uh, of course the last time an alarm went off literally, and, you know, like uh, 10 cruisers came down. I was at the border between Vermont and Canada coming back from visiting a family in Canada after a funeral in Montreal. So I get there, they scan the passport and everybody surrounds the vehicle, you know, with guns. And I'm asked to put my hands outside the, the window, unlock, you know, I have to have all my hands up and, you know, opening the door of the car. And then they all grab me and put me, handcuff me and bring me inside. So, I mean, pretty soon thereafter, I, you know, after all these incidents, I realized that I must be on a list somewhere. And when, then a when was this one, the one at the border? Was this after Trump was elected? 
Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The most recent, the most recent one was uh, just this past January. Um, and of course, I have a close friend um, who who told me that uh, somebody had come around Dartmouth College, where I'm a graduate student, asking about asking about me, and that they thought they were FBI. So uh, I have been monitored on and off since 2013. Um, uh, after the Boston Marathon bombings, I was in Boston at the time, and of course, uh, the, there was an original thing that it wasn't. Uh, they didn't know who did it, so they went after immediately. Maybe leftist groups. We had a small Marxist reading group. And uh, my house was raided, actually. Um, a but this few is prior. Out. I mean, this is the, the Boston bombing is, is five years prior to your going overseas. Correct, and, correct, and... correct. Under the Obama administration. But already then, already then, we knew that they were monitoring various leftist groups. So this was post-Occupy. So yeah. Occupy is in the crosshairs. A lot of different leftist groups are starting to emerge as vocal critics of the U.S. empire of capitalism, of what's going on with the ruling class in this country and around the world. So we, we knew that we were being monitored um, and uh, they had thought that I was uh, stockpiling weapons. <laughs> so they came into the house, uh, uh, the Joint books. Terrorism Task Force. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I found a lot of books. Yeah. found a lot of books and, you know, different paraphernalia. But so a lot of this stuff has just been going on. Now, you, of course, it's like, You were a member of the military. So it's not like you went, I mean, there were folks who, who went to Syria had we read the stories who had no experience uh, using Correct. a weapon, but you you Correct. you had basically defected from the U.S. military. Well, I, I resigned. I resigned my commission as you know, citing a, being a conscientious objector. I joined the military really to pay for school, um, and uh, very quickly thereafter, <laughs> had to get out as I wasn't going to fight for for wars of empire. I wish we had free education. I wouldn't have to do that. Neither would a lot of other people out there. Yeah. But uh, the military is you know the poor person's draft really. You know, you got to health care and education and you got to serve the empire and big business to go and uh, steal and plunder. So, yeah, I, I had military training previously. Uh, but of course, the war in Rojava, the war in Syria in general was nothing that a conventional like military training would prepare you for. I was uh, extremely asymmetric. Um, there were a lot of different uh, situations where we first of all, we didn't have the equipment that you have in the U.S. military. Yeah. You know, this was a this was a you know people's army really. Where, where did no you help. where did do you find the equipment? Was it from your allies so, on the ground there? So a lot of the equipment originally was stockpiled by locals, of course, uh, over the years. Don't forget, this is sort of where it gets a little muddy. Uh, the the Kurdish uh, the PKK's leader, the Kurdistan Workers Party's leader Abdullah Öcalan, was a, the guest of Hafiz al Assad, Bashar al Assad's father, for decades. I mean, he had his base in Damascus under Assad's father. And the Kurds in Northeast Syria fought in the PKK against Turkey because Turkey was a NATO country and Syria was aligned with the Soviet Union. After the Soviet Union collapsed, very quickly the PKK found unfriendly uh, sort of uh, reception in Damascus until the late 90s, where Turkey threatened to invade Syria if they didn't uh, kick out Ojalan from Damascus, so he was thrown out. So the Kurds in northeast Syria, and as well as the Arabs, the Assyrians, the Armenians, everybody was armed. They had stockpiles. So basically, once the civil war kicked off, Assad's forces withdrew, and they just took all the weapons from the depots and armed themselves, and you know they formed local militias and things like that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, very much into the Trump administration, uh, there were weapons coming in to northeast Syria. Of course, there were armaments shipments from the U.S., Right. And from the coalition to uh, the forces, the SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces in the northeast of Syria. So it was a, it's a 
it's so complex, so many constant shifting allies and relationships uh, that it can sometimes be very difficult. And I understand a lot of the confusion about uh, the conflict. And dangerous too, of course. All right, so so now you're in Vermont, uh, and 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 you've uh, taken a full turn into electoral politics. You were running for Congress uh, in Vermont, and and I just want to show a quick clip of of your debate that you had uh, with the current rep, Dorsey. Can we play the clip about the budget? This is. Hang on one second. So your election's on, um, it's it's in 27 days. So you're in the middle of campaign cycle. <laughs> I am. <laughs> what, what inspired you uh, to run for Congress? Uh, I mean, really, the, the pandemic uh, just laid bare the, the brutality and barbarity of the system. So I said, why not? Why not? I'm not, I'm, I have no, you know, I have uh, no uh, uh, sort of megalomania or the ideas that I'm going to win, you know, sort of romantic uh, dreams and aspirations. I know I'm going to lose. I'm, I'm polling, but I'm polling at one percent, so that's wonderful. I mean, this is a person who's who's going to be on the ballot. I'm already on the ballot. I voted already. Communist, like the word communist, is on the ballot. I mean, it's Vermont, and, uh, so come on, like it's it, not that much of a stretch. <laughs> it is. It is Vermont. It is Vermont. Although Vermont, living in rural Vermont, Vermont has a um, right wing history. Yeah. Uh, it was a Republican state until the '70s, '80s, mm -hmm. and of course, it had a strong Ku Klux Klan presence. Um, so yeah, actually, I have the have the book uh, right here, "Fiery Crosses in the Green wow. Mountains." That so, was of course, it's the history of it. It's the history of yeah. I mean, like if you look at if you look at some of this stuff, I mean, mm -hmm. you're surprised that like this was Vermont, not in the Vermont. South. In Vermont. In wow. Vermont. Yeah. So you know, when you think about this stuff, you think, oh, Vermont's very progressive and things. It does have a very strong right wing tendency. So living in a rural area, area being a farmer now. Um, on our family farm, I decided that now was the time to speak about working class issues that could hopefully bridge a lot of those divides. Um, and we've had a very positive reception, very, very positive reception. So All right. We have we have the clip now because this is sure, uh, sure. there's a couple of moments where I, I want to show you, you <laughs> breaking their minds, basically. <laughs> All right. Let's roll that clip of, of the budget conversation. Um, Christopher Halali, could you tell us? what your approach to the budget would be on behalf of Vermonters? I think first and foremost, on behalf of Vermonters and the entire working class all over the country, we must cut the military budget by at least 50%. It is unsustainable to have over 1,000 foreign military bases while Russia has less than 30 and China has less than 10. That's insane. Billions of dollars are wasted every year to support a bloated empire, to support a bloated military industrial complex that wreaks havoc and, and bombs and launches drones and does covert actions and coup d'etats and regime change around the world. What have we gained from 20 years of this quote unquote war on terror? Today, the Taliban is stronger than in 2001. That's a failure of, our, of both political parties and the US empire. It's a failure. We've lost all the wars that we fought in. Iraq is a catastrophe. Libya is a disaster. They're selling slaves there. Syria is, a, is also a disaster. Everywhere we've gone, we've wreaked destruction and nothing has been gained. Nothing. So the first thing to do is to cut the military, retract all troops from abroad, bring them home, and put all that money, all the trillions of dollars we've spent on war and destruction and empire back into building infrastructure in this country. 
providing free health care, free education, child care, if you really believe in family values and are pro-life and are, and are committed to the people and the working class, then you have to be against the wars of empire. You have to be against all the violence that we wreak all over the world. Thank you. So what I love about that clip is you, you flip it. Um, you flip the script and use Republican logic because, I mean, this is this, if you, if you really are pro-life, if you really do believe in family values, then, then, then really, uh, you know, show up. And I think what's, what's really interesting about your story, and I'm not sure everybody who is watching that debate really knows, is you do deeply understand these issues because you've been on the front lines. You were in the military. This isn't like you're coming from a place of, of idealism and, and theory. You've literally practiced it and, and witnessed it up close. Um, do, do, do you think that your opponents are, <laughs> how are they responding? Like on that debate stage, how do they respond to you? Um, you know, for me personally, in the in the moment, there was really no response. But afterwards, when people saw the clips and people emailed me from all over Vermont and called, and uh, they were, it was a very positive reception. Even from people who voted for Trump in 2016, they said it would be the first time they're voting for a communist. Wow, interesting. Yeah. So that's why I, I'm that so it, that's like a, a line right there. I know. I know. So, you know, clearly it's, they're scared of communism. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about Vermont. So you've got how many congressional districts? Only one. It's at large. Oh. So, so this is Bernie Sanders, former congressional district. Correct. Who is the current representative? Uh, Peter Welch. Tell he's us about him. Um, so he's a, he's a Democrat. He lives here in Norwich, just uh, two towns over from me. Um, and uh, he's progressive uh, on a lot of issues. So nobody nobody can say that he's not progressive on a lot of issues, um, and he has fought hard for a lot of the things that we care about, but he doesn't go far enough. He's still a part of the Democratic machine, and he's still involved with a lot of the, the machinations behind the Russia Gate and now the anti-China hysteria and a lot of this stuff that I find to be reprehensible it's part of the imperial ambition you know you know when everybody's standing up clapping for guaido i mean this is unacceptable i think for 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 the united states um you know especially for the the left to promote yeah. kind of people i mean all i think well, bernie sanders was one of the only people to, to to sit down or things like that if i remember correctly but sit down yeah when uh, you at the yeah, in congress exactly right. yeah so part of part of the whole thing is that uh, peter i want to bring the conversation left the conversation in the united states keeps going to the right Yes, we need thank to bring you. To the left. So I, it's not that I believe, you know, as a as a as someone who you know is a Marxist Leninist and has read Lenin. Lenin says we use electoralism, we use bourgeois political system for what? To raise awareness and to raise class consciousness. Mm -hmm. So people, you know, the, for the, for example, all the free media I've gotten now, all the ability to say what I believe and what we believe, uh, it's gone out there. So people have said, "Wow, yeah, that's a good point." I never heard about that. So we're trying to break, we're trying to use the system against itself, ultimately. That's what we're trying to do. And we're trying right, to want, bring people awareness to this. Stuff. I want to show one more clip of your debate. Uh, the, sure, sure. You guys are talking about healthcare, which of course has become a central topic. Uh, it's sort of the litmus test for whether or not you're progressive. Do you believe in Medicare for all? Uh, I've been covering these debates across the country. Last night we covered the McSally, uh, uh, Mark Kelly debate, and there was a lot of wishy-washiness around healthcare, and it's really healthcare and 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 the military-industrial complex. Those seem to be the two issues that neither Republicans or Democrats can find their um, find their grounding <laughs> on it. Uh, Dorsey, can we play that clip? You have it ready, Christopher Halali. What would be your next step in 
um, healthcare policy when you go to Washington? I believe in a free, universal, uh, high-quality healthcare system. I, I cannot possibly fathom how this country, which sent astronauts into space and landed on the moon, cannot provide every American healthcare. Why? Why is that such a, it's not rocket science. Provide clinics for everyone, provide hospitals for everyone, provide healthcare for everyone, train doctors at no charge, have, have a healthcare system that's robust. I mean, people have empty slogans, you know, God bless America, we love Americans, united we stand. Well, if united we stand, isn't it patriotic to have every American and every person in this country have healthcare? Isn't it, isn't it patriotic for everyone to be able to have access? To all the needs that they ha that they that they have in terms of uh, medical needs, I, I just can't fathom how the richest country in history cannot provide healthcare to all of its citizens. It's unheard of. If if places like China, with triple the population, can have clinics in the smallest rural villages with rice paddies, why can't the United States have that? Why are we closing rural hospitals and and clinics? It's it's unthinkable. But it's all because of capitalism. It's all because of big business and big corporate interests, which many of the politicians in our entire system are beholden to. And so I'm going to fight like tooth and nail for the working class, for workers and farmers who deserve to have health care as a human right, who deserve to not have to worry about going into debt or losing their house or farm because they have medical emergencies. This Thank is not you. rocket science. That's great. Uh, your opponent, uh, He's he's progressive on some issues. Does he believe in Medicare for all? Uh, he did say that he supports uh, Medicare for all. Yeah, okay. but I, I still think that even Medicare for all doesn't go as far, far enough to address the basic things that I believe we need. I mean, uh, really, we just need uh, to totally, uh, you know, redo healthcare in this country. We need to build clinics and hospitals. We need to train doctors. Like, why should, why should in our society, why should doctors have to go into hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to end up serving the people? This should be free. You want to be a doctor? All right, your education is paid for up until the end, and then we're going to send you to some clinic or somewhere so you can serve the people. Are you becoming a doctor to get rich, or are you becoming a doctor to serve the people? I mean, you also, see this, want... we see this in Cuba. Yeah. Uh, we interviewed a reporter um, a few months ago on how Cuba was covering the COVID disaster. And I mean, it's amazing. They're, and they've been doing this for years, sending out, it's not just now during this crisis, sending out doctors around the world. They're the most in-demand doctors around the world when there's a shortage. I mean, there's absolutely no excuse for that here. I think I think you're spot on. Um, absolutely. I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was, I was just to say that uh, the, the late revolutionary leader of Cuba, Fidel Castro, you know, everybody, you know, paranoid, the Miami crowd, you know, they're, they're, they're screaming. Of course, uh, nobody knows how much money they left behind in, in Cuba during, during and, uh, and after the revolution. But Fidel said, medicos y no bombas. Like, you know, we want to send doctors. We don't send bombs everywhere. Yeah. The United States exports bombs and armaments. Cuba exports doctors. That's what they do. That's why this year there is a campaign to nominate uh, the, 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 the medical brigades uh, for the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm -hmm. They should get it. That's Those amazing. people are, are heroes, not, you know, not these war criminals uh, who've gotten the, the Nobel Peace Prize. These doctors who go selflessly serving the people all over the world in countries where they don't speak the language, where they're not from there, but going because of international solidarity. That's mm -hmm. what we need. That's the world we need to go to. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, how can people help out on your campaign? Make phone calls, donate, what can they do? Uh, so yeah, you can just go on our website, www.christopherhalai.com 
and you can follow me at Twitter. We have a donation page. And really, the, the best thing is not to help me, it's to help the movement. It's to get out there, it's to talk to workers and farmers in your communities. A lot of people, you know, talk to me about, oh, emotional labor, this, no, 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 no. Revolution doesn't come on easy, you know, wings. You got to go out there, you got to fight, you got to sweat, you got to toil in the fields or toil in the factories with workers and farmers all over the country. And yes, they have reactionary views, but in order to convince them about this path forward, you have to spend time with them. You have to be dedicated mm -hmm. to that and you have to chart it out and you have to struggle for it. And I just, before, before we conclude, I want to say today's a historic day for you and I are both Greek. And uh, today, of course, we know that uh, in the court in Athens declared Golden Dawn, Chrysiavgi, yep. a, a, a criminal organization. And as someone who has a pending court case in Greece from 2016, when I was arrested fighting Golden Dawn, protecting refugees at our squatted community, uh, I have to say today is a great day and, of course, uh, is, a, is a wonderful way for Pablo Suizas' mother to finally get closure. Who was um, murdered at the, at the port. Who um, was murdered, exactly. So by I Golden think Dawn for a great day. Exactly, by, by Golden Dawn, folks. So I think that today is a great day uh, for the anti-fascist movement globally. Um, and, I, and, I, and I hope that we continue the struggle against, uh, against fascism, against imperialism, and against capitalism as we build a new world. Thanks, Chris. Um, if you don't win it this time, let's, how many times did it take Bernie to win in, in, in Vermont? <laughs> out there. Um, really <laughs> All right. Really appreciate you um, taking the time with us today. Up next, everybody, we have a panel to talk about the debate. <laughs> how do we go from this to talk about the debate? Uh, we're going to do it, but we're, we're going to uh, be right back with Nabila Islam. And it's our favorite panel. No, I'm just kidding. Every week I say that. Um, Jordan and Nabila are up next talk, to talk about the debate. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Uh, we have Jordan Zacharin and Nabila Islam uh, here to join us to talk about today's crazy debate that we're expecting um, between Senator Kamala Harris and, of course, uh, Vice President Mike Pence, also known as the ringleader of the Coronavirus Task Force. He's been doing a great job. <laughs> what do you guys think? Uh, Jordan, of course, is the founder of uh, the Progressive Everywhere newsletter, and he's reporter and editor with The Observer, and Nabila is the founder of Progressive List and the national organizing director of Matriarch. So, all right, all right, let's just do some, some a quick, you know, rehash of the last few days. We have a White House that is emptying out right now because everyone's getting COVID. Um, Nabila, how do you think this is going to play out in this debate? Oh, I think it's outrageous that the uh, president has said that he's going to backtrack on uh, passing a stimulus package and now he's trying to come back and say he might do something and his advisors are saying there's no way it's going to happen before the election uh I, working people are out of jobs about 10 million jobs haven't come back there are about 30 to 40 million people that are possibly going to be evicted from their um house uh their apartments and, uh, and so i think it's definitely going to be a huge issue that we talk about on the debate stage and i think kamala should definitely bring it up jordan how do you think uh how do you think this is going to go down? I mean, is is Pence going to be the the ringleader of the failures of of the COVID task force? Well, I just want to say first and foremost, I just want to give a shout out to Stephen Miller. I know you're not feeling well, and um, really wants to get back 
back speedy recovery i got a few months left to lock kids in cages so you really gotta get to it don't waste any time uh beyond that you know i think lock that him in a cage <laughs> i know he's got no isolate, pandemic right? treatment. um you know, I, I don't know why we're even doing this this it's called debate quarantine guys oh, it's not a cage it's oh, quarantine. sorry sorry yeah that's <laughs> i don't even know why we're doing this debate at all i mean pence has been in around trump he could be carrying it you know he's just like not be showing any tests um the, whose mind is going to be changed by this debate by having Kamala Harris and Mike Pence, you know, talking to uh, uh, to one another? Uh, it's going to be really boring. I like Kamala Harris. I think she's a good debater, but Pence is just going to be incredibly boring. He's going to be lie about how good a job Trump has done while he's sitting in a sick bed. I don't like if you're undecided at this point. Like unless you're Ken Bone, I don't know who you could be. <laughs> um, so this is like another one of those norms that I think like the media and Democrats just kind of hold on to that Republicans just keep destroying. Uh, Pence is too conservative, I guess, to just give up on it. But yeah, I don't really see the whole point of it. And um, what I think is going to happen is that Kamala Harris is going to just laugh at anything Pence says. And Pence is, he's, how is he going to sell what, you know, what Trump is doing as a good job? You know, what is he going to say that's like going to be convincing at all? Well, what's interesting to me about Pence is, is you know, the, the, everybody, all the Republicans are like, oh, but his demeanor, of course, he's far right wing. We all know he's, he's, a, he's extremely religiously conservative. But um, it seems like the campaign strategy, and not just their campaign, but the down-ballot races, the Republicans, is to just feed the machine and make sure that that excited Trump base turns out and, and hope that it's more than 16% and that it might be 35% or 40%, and then they're going to you know, somehow woo over just a, a few Republicans who, who can't, you know, can't, can't stand voting on the Democratic ticket. But is Pence going to be able to excite that, that, that base? He couldn't even excite Indiana. You know, he was almost going to, he was almost out of office. Uh, he was yeah. so unpopular before he, before he arrived because of an outbreak, um, before he got, got on Trump's ticket in 2016. The thing is, I think uh, HIV outbreak in, in Indiana. Um, you know, he's so religious that he wasn't allowing sex education and it was a whole thing. But um, I think, you know, ironically, you know, the thing about Pence is like Mitch McConnell, is, he seems like he's giving up on, the, on, on everything. He wants uh, giving up on Trump's reelection. They all think it's over. But Trump has taken over the Republican Party. How can you hold your nose and vote for Trump and say, you know what, uh, there's other Republicans that we need to vote for, that we need to make, you know, that we need to make the sacrifice for, that we still need to vote for and uh, help out? Because Trump is a Republican Party. So no matter what Pence says, he's just shilling for Trump. Nabila, what do you think? Do, these, do you think he's going to be able to capture or do the job of, of, of maybe blocking Kamala and, and keeping that base solid? No, no. At this point, they're going to have to expand it. I mean, they've lost so many people in the suburbs. I mean, the thing is, it's no longer the Republican Party, right? It's the, it's the Trump Party. And so I, I, the only, I think the only person that can really excite Trump's base is Donald Trump at this point. Uh, so I don't think, I mean, we've seen him on the debate stage before. He's just not that exciting. There's nothing, he's not really super charismatic. Um, and plus he has the hard job of defending Donald Trump. So I kind of almost feel bad for him. <laughs> so, um, but I, I don't see how he's going to do good tonight. All right. So let's talk about some key areas where Kamala could attack. Um, or, or as they like to say, Mamala. You've got, you've got Pence and his mother, mother, his wife and, and Mamala. Okay. Um, I tried. There was something there. It was like Mamala and mother. <laughs> I don't know. So where could, um, where do you think, I mean, other than COVID, where do you think that Kamala's key attacks will lie? Nabila, go for it. Um, well, I mean, COVID's a huge one since this is uh, the top of the mind of everyone. Um, I mean, keep talking about the economy and how, because we haven't been able to, Trump being 
very late on responding to COVID. Uh, we've lost tens of million, million uh, tens, 10 million jobs. And a lot of people are out of work right now. There are people living out of their car right now. Yeah. There are people that have kids in their car. Like I was talking to a friend of mine and he was telling me that there are people in Gwinnett County where I live, living in their car where their kids are going to McDonald's in the library in order to get their homework done. Yep. I mean, these the Wi-Fi, are, right? The Wi-Fi, exactly. Yep. I mean, these are yep. kitchen table issues. And I mean, these are types of points that she needs to drive home. Um, and that I think that, you know, are, are the issues that people are thinking about today. Do, I mean, Jordan, do you think that Kamala, who is neoliberal, has the ability to present this human argument? I mean, this is, I think, the, the consistent problem neoliberals have when they take the debate stage. Even, I mean, we're not even talking about, like, far-left progressive ideas. We're just saying, like, humanize this moment, connect the dots for folks the way that Bill Clinton would, even though he wasn't a, a progressive. Do you think that Kamala can do that? I mean, it was interesting seeing Joe Biden talk about that because he's certainly a neoliberal, right? Yeah. Seeing him talk about it last week and make that case. You know, I think, you know, Kamala Harris, they showed her family a lot during the DNC. You know, she is, you know, a stepmom. She has uh, got a larger family and she talked about her own mother. I think she's able to make that connection. You know, obviously, Pence is of the world, they're, they're family social conservatives. But you can just say, look, you can call yourself a family, you know, family values person and you're letting people starve. You know, just yeah. use whatever Pence has going for him or what he thinks is going for him against them. You know, if you care so much about the way families operate and how they're doing and keeping people connected, you know, you're the party of ripping families apart. You're the family, you're the party of not letting people say, you know, so long to their loved ones when they die because right. of COVID. You're the, you're the party of just 10 million people and their kids not having jobs or money. That's right. All right. So where do we think that Pence will, will try to hit Kamala, Nabila? You know, that's a great question. Uh, I think maybe it'll come to he might try to hit her on criminal justice reform. Um, you know, they've been trying real hard to get the black folk and making them see they making them seem like the party that's been, you know, the most favorable to the black community. Um, because, you know, <laughs> I know, right. So Senator Kamala, I mean, Vernon Jones is a uh, Democrat in our state that turncoated and he was at the RNC and they're just like propping him around. He was accused of being a, a, a rapist. So, I mean, it, it's just all over the place. So I think he might try to hit her there. Um, although I don't think he's going to be successful. Yeah, because they're just as guilty. I mean, the Republicans, for them to... Because it, it, okay, so if they're going to be the, the, the party of law and order, if they're going to hit her on criminal justice, um, doesn't that go against their messaging over the last few months of law and order? Oh, absolutely. But they don't care. I mean, the thing is, they're, they're just going to repeat the same thing over and over again, even if it's not true, until people think it's true. I mean, that's just been their ammo the entire time. But doesn't it hurt? Doesn't it conflict with another audience they're trying to speak to? Or are they just brainwashed? I'm just, I'm so confused by the right. Trump strategy right now. I mean, ultimately, like last night we were watching the debate with Mark, Martha McSally and, and, and uh, Mark Kelly. I, you know, I know who Martha McSally was. She, she was a, a, a very moderate, very, very moderate uh, when she first ran for Congress. Um, and then she has become more and more and more Trumpian in her rhetoric. But the weirdness of her strategy, which I think is indicative of the entire Republican Party right now, is that even though Trump's doing better in Arizona than she is in Arizona, she was distancing herself from Trump, which I think was about donors, and but keeping the rhetoric of like the Q supporters. So it's I, I, I'm really struggling. Like, are they losing by so much that they just don't even know who they're trying to target anymore? I mean, Jordan, what do you think? You're looking at the whole country. You know, it was interesting seeing last week during the debate, you mentioned Trump, uh, his conflicting rhetoric. He said, and he made a good point about 
Biden's, you know, three strike, uh, you know, his his criminal justice record not being great. Then in the same breath, literally he didn't even take a breath. I don't know if he could breathe at that point, but he, <laughs> in the same breath, he says, oh, and all the cops love us. All the police unions are backing us. And so if you want to make that point about, as you said, if you want to make the point that, uh, yeah, Biden does not have the world's best record being in the Senate for so long on criminal justice issues. And he was part of, you know, that movement in the 90s to be, quote unquote, tough on crime. You can't just go say, oh, and the cops love us too. It's not going to work. Uh, and so that's kind of the problem with all of these things, right? They're going to say every issue they bring up, they have a horrible track record. And like you mentioned, QAnon doesn't really care. Those are people who are, don't have any logic. They don't care what the actual record is. Um, but if you're trying to expand out to reach out to people, you can't just put forward something so desperately conflicting. Now, people don't pay that much attention, but they pay you know, some attention. And so if you want to you know, make a point, don't conflict it or you know, don't make the opposite point within literally the same single breath. So is there a strategy for the Trump campaign right now, other than voter suppression? Voter suppression is a pretty good one. I think, you know, we were seeing in Texas, uh, you know, they just made early voting tougher. They made drop boxes tougher. Ohio, uh, the secretary of state said, yeah, I'll uh, allow multiple drop boxes per county if the courts let me. Court said, sure, go for it. And he's like, oh, just, just kidding. No, no, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not going to do that. So I think voter suppression is the is the strategy you know i think it's firing up the base i guess i don't see all the ads that go to republicans on facebook i'm sure they you know call joe biden like a you know who even knows like a pedophile child uh who knows um i think it's just got to be rallying up the base and trying to suppress the rest of them Nabila, you're in georgia what what are you thinking Oh, yeah, no. Um, so our Secretary of State hasn't tried limiting our, our uh, drop boxes yet, So, but there will be um, a lot to pay if he does. Um, we are, I, what we're seeing right now is, especially in Gwinnett County, they're delaying absentee ballots because uh, they didn't uh, have them prepared correctly. For example, in Gwinnett, we're the only federally mandated county in the state of Georgia that has to have their ballots in two languages. And so they didn't do it, and they it's been taking a longer time to get our ballots, and now they're trying to gaslight activists and saying it's your fault that your ballots are getting to you late. I mean, it's incredible. So how, how so? What what's uh, because because the, the activists put forward lawsuits that are holding up the process, and you just need to let things happen as they are. But in 2018, the county with the most rejection of absentee ballots was Gwinnett County. So if we had it the secretary's way, we would go back to the same type of ballots that rejected our votes in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so they, the thing is, they needle in their voter suppression. It might not be very like in your face, but mm-hmm. when you've held on to p- uh, power for so long, you know how to defend it. And so they've gotten very good. They're very nefarious. And so we, uh, on the ground, I'm actually helping raising money for poll watchers um, in our our county so that we have a second line of defense after our poll workers to make sure that um, people don't get away with voter suppression. And and just so folks know, um, you can be a poll watcher in your community. We've talked about this. You have to be from the community where you vote, uh, but you can be a poll watcher and get trained to do so. Um, But it's not just like you show up to a a site, like any site. It's you you have to be from there. Um, We'll talk about that again tomorrow with Chris Rabb, who's been talking about it. Uh, okay, guys, uh, key key things to look for. Anything that you're on the lookout for today during this debate? No? You think they're yeah. going to he's He's going to try to mimic? I know. I feel like we're all like, after after the Trump debate, everyone's just like, who cares? <laughs> this is just, <laughs> why just are we wanna... even doing this campaign anymore, guys? <laughs> I'm really interested in the, the plexiglass, how that works. You know, I... Are they expecting the COVID just to be, oh, sorry, I saw a little bit of glass. I can't, can't jump over there. What is it um, called? That's, 
Oh. You know, the, the plexiglass, oh, I see we can't jump over the, COVID, the plexiglass of your COVID. I'm also just really excited to see Trump talk to a woman. I'm not Trump, sorry, Pence, Pence talk to a woman. Pence. I, I'm really, I don't think I've ever seen it, you know, obviously not in person. I don't think I've ever seen him just talk one-on-one with a woman uh, on TV. So I think that to me is like, that'll be pretty cool. Mother's, mother's going to be there watching very closely. Of course, yeah. Watch out, Kamala. <laughs> I mean, uh, last night, Mark Kelly did have plex. There was plexiglass class between uh, McSally and Mark Kelly. But again, I mean, it cuts off when the stage cuts off. And that's, you know, there could there's still air vents. I, I don't know. I think they should do them like outside or maybe even a different room. I mean, why do we have to have them? They're so far apart from each other. Nobody's actually in each other's spaces. Trump used to do that. But I think uh, on my uh, debate that I had to do in my primary, we did a Zoom debate. And so, and like, you know what's funny is during the Trump debate, someone tweeted like, this ought to be a Zoom debate because then we could just mute Trump when necessary. And so, um, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, I'm I'm hoping this debate is a little bit more civil um, and actually getting to hear from both sides. And so uh, I look forward to that. Yep, yep. All right, guys, uh, very exciting week that we've had. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Okay, here's my last question for you all. How many more officials in the White House do you predict or in the administration do you predict will get COVID in the next week? Nabila? Okay, so what is it, 35 right now? Yeah, uh, oh, we can take a bet. Somebody wins something. I don't know what yet, but somebody wins something. <laughs> I'd say it gets up to 50. What okay. is that, 15 more? Okay, yeah. Jordan? You know, I think we'll probably get around there, but I'm very interested to see which employees get it and yeah. if that comes out. Because there's so many people who work in the White House who are not partisans. You know, there are people who work in laundry or as butlers or in food service who are just being put at risk for no yeah. reason from this guy. And that's what I'm most curious about. If you work for Donald Trump and you're a partisan and you've worked for the Republican Party for this long, get COVID. I don't care. Um, I know I feel bad if, uh, for your family or whatever, but I really care about the people working there, right? The people who have been there for years and years and are just doing their best. If I had to spend four years serving Donald Trump, then to get COVID at the end, I can't think of anything worse. And they're so, nonpartisan uh, employees. What people, a lot of folks right. don't know is these are government workers who have pensions and families. They're not high-paid workers. They're serving from administration to administration, and they serve you know all of the presidents as well as they can. And I know that I, I did hear something that there are fewer in the White House right now. They've cut back quite a bit. Uh, for a while because they have unions that are pushing that. That's not a, you know, decision by the Trump administration. It's a it's a union based decision. Um, but even then, as you said, you know, it's 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 still a, a tragic. So see what comes out. I mean, I'm sure, again, like they have unions, so it's it's not tied to some sort of um, leaks from the White House. But all right. So no, no guess on. All right. I'm going to say there's, there's going to be I'm going to uh, 55 more people, uh-huh. um, more people. On top of 35? No, 55 overall, sorry. Overall, overall. Um, okay. Overall, 55 overall, if you include Joint Chief of Staff and whatnot. And, you know, I want to say there's going to be like 40 employees who get it. They didn't even know over the weekend. Right. Sure. Will Bill Barr get it, though? I mean, look, I don't like to wish people ill. You know, just I just a prediction. Stephen Miller a shout out. Um, <laughs> but I don't think Bill Barr is going to because I don't know that he has human blood. <laughs> we didn't think that Steve, Stephen Miller did either. That's what true. do you think, yeah. Nabila? Um, wait, what are we talking about now? <laughs> Bill Barr. Well, you know, <laughs> does he have human blood? Um... <laughs> Listen, if Q is mainstreamed on like Fox News right now, we can ask whether or not Barr has human blood. It's uh, injected with bleach, guys. Come on, we know sure. this. 
<laughs> like, is this a simulation? Are we living in a simulation? <laughs> We're literally in a simulation. Um, I don't know. I think he, he might get it. Uh, we'll see. Um, I mean, look, I don't, I don't wish anyone to get, you know, sick. It's, <laughs> Who cares, guys? They've been like very like irresponsible, and like I mean, that's just what's happening now. Everyone's getting it. Uh, that's been around Donald Trump. Listen, I think this is a cause and effect situation. Uh, I am not putting it onto the universe, but I believe that the universe does catch up with folks like this. It is disgusting that it has hit folks on the front lines, workers, working class people, poor people, uh, people of color the most. With that being said, I do think that there is a cause and effect of being reckless this much for this long and putting people at risk. So um, we can only see what happens. And cross our fingers. <laughs> all right, guys. Take this long. I, no, I really can't either. To be honest, I mean, all these rallies and everything—it's—it's—it's it's, it's kind of surprising. So, I mean, I guess the bleach just doesn't catch us up with you. You can't take too much. There's a there's a level. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Jordan Zachern and Avila Islam. Special thanks to Professor Harvey K, Bobby, and Billy the Mods, and everyone who's been live in the chat. And of course, thank you to Chris Halali, and good luck to his campaign. We will see you tomorrow where we're going to do a recap of the debate uh we'll see how this goes and and of course we have a great week planned out um including feminist fridays but tonight make sure to come here and watch the debate we're going to bring in some california consultants and experts who understand the kamala harris machine how she got here and of course i've been involved in national politics it'll be super interesting i promise you uh so make sure to come here to watch the debate we'll be streaming it live and then later we're going to be doing a recap all right guys take care stay well